are true believers, welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. A proud member of the Headcast family, I am your host, Aaron Moss, otherwise known as Head. The Task Force X Headcast follows the adventures of DC Comics Task Force X. Task Force X was made up of the Suicide Squad comic, which was created by John Ostrander and Ryan Scott, which started in the late 1980s, and the sister comic, Checkmate, created by Paul Kupperberg and Steve Irwin. These were two sides of DC's espionage comics. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team, made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't... You'll be dead. Exactly. I will attempt to chronicle each title and all the books that the Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during this era. We're the U.S. government. Who's going to blow the whistle on us? The convicts? Who'd believe them? You? <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, yeah, Amanda. A blog and a headcast. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. No, not at all, Amanda. I'm just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Punk. All right, Amanda. Bang. We'll return after these messages. feeling about this. You'd be feeling a lot better, Han, if you were listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast hosted by me, Ryan Daly. That doesn't sound too hard. It's not hard. You just check out Dead Boffin Spies on iTunes, Facebook, or the blog page, deadboffinspies.blogspot.com. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Well, I, I don't know if terror is an appropriate description. It's a podcast that combines everything you love about me talking and some of what you love about Star Wars. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Fine, whatever. Do that after you listen to Dead Boffin Spies. Yoda, you seek Yoda! No, you seek Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Check it out. It beats kissing a Wookiee, I would think. <laughs> Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. 
New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no .com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. And welcome back to Task Force X, episode 15. This month, we're going to talk about issue 7 of The Suicide Squad. The title is Thrown to the Wolves. The cover date was November of 1987, but once again, as usual, if you want to buy this fresh off the newsstand, take 75 cents, hop in your DeLorean or your Time Sphere. And go back to August the 25th of 1987. Uh, The editor of this bad boy was Robert Greenberger. Writer was John Ostinger. Penciler, Luke McDonald. Inker was Robert Lewis. Letterer, Todd Klein. Colorist, Carl Gafford. The cover credits the artist was Jerry Bingham. This was a 22-page story. And this was reprinted in Suicide Squad, Trial by Fire, which came out in 2011. Uh, the synopsis for this story, the Suicide Squad has liberated political prisoner Zoya Trigorny. Again, I'm still going to mess up these names, kids. Uh, anyways, they, they liberated Zoya from a Soviet prison. However, their escape route is blocked when the American embassy officials plan to turn them in. The squad comes up with another plan to flee across the frozen Black Sea. Nemesis stays behind to cover their escape, while the Bronze Tiger make arrangements for additional assistance. Disguised as travelers, the team successfully makes it to the Black Sea. However, Nemesis was captured by the people's heroes, who were able to telepathically extract the escape plan from him. A confrontation takes place on the ice between the two teams. The Bronze Tiger then arrives with reinforcements, including Captain Boomerang and Black Orchid. The fight continues as the Russian soldiers arrive. Briscoe lands the team's helicopter to extract the team. Zoya is shot and killed by the Soviets. Nemesis goes back for her and is captured. The rest of the team makes it safely out of Russia. Gorbachev is disappointed that Zoya's death makes her a martyr, which is what they were trying to avoid to begin with. Well, that's the uh, synopsis. Now I'm going to give you my thoughts on it. First, we start with the cover. It's not a bad cover. I like the cover overall. The only problem with it is it has no background. The cover it says showdown against the people's heroes. And forefront, we have Bronze Tiger and a guy with a hammer, a Russian guy with a hammer. Down by their feet, we show uh, Rick fighting against some uh, Russian chick with a sickle. And then up above Bronze Tiger and the hammer guy, we see uh, Nightshade fighting against 
some Martian guy who just got his fist cocked back. Uh, I, I like the, the the way that you know they're paired off here. The, the way it looks, it just beyond that, it's just a white background, which makes it kind of plain. Uh, so I'm not quite sure. I, I like it. I just and I don't know. Maybe if you had background on here, it'd make it too busy. Uh, so I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this cover. I like it, but I feel it's missing something. I just can't put my finger on what. Uh, then we move into the story proper, uh, where we meet the uh, the Russians that we're going to be dealing with. Uh, we don't get their names. We do find out that they're the people's heroes, and that uh, Russia's leaders have sent them to find Zoya Trigorny, Trigorn, Trigorn. How do you pronounce it? But as we move on, uh, we get a little background. We find out that they were recently in Outsiders number eight where apparently they uh, failed. And then one of them mentions that they had hopes that this Pozar fellow would be assigned to him, but I guess it is not to be comrades. And there's a little note here saying, see Firestorm number 62 through 65 for the who and why, uh, your buddy John. And we know that from episode 12 of the Task Force X podcast, because that was when I had my buddy, the Irredeemable Shag, on and we talked about the uh, Suicide Squad. Actually, no, it wasn't Suicide Squad. I talked about Suicide Squad four, but me and Shag talked about Fury of Firestorm. I, I believe it was sixty five and the Annual. And we find out there that Pozar. Well, we don't really find out what happened there. Uh, we know that he fought against Firestorm, and they were nuked, and Pozar disappeared. Uh, just for a follow-up on that, uh, we'll talk about that eventually when Firestorm shows back up in the book and they cross over. But Michael Arkadin, who was Pozar, became part of Firestorm and joined the Firestorm Matrix. Uh, I tell you to go see uh, the Fire and Water podcast, but they're not quite that far yet, so you got a little while to wait. Uh, or check back with us eventually. Uh, well, keep listening to us, but eventually we will have Shag back on, hopefully. And we'll talk further about Firestorm. But that's for future episodes. But overall, over these last couple of pages, I mean, again, Luke McDonald, I, I, I've sung his praises before. Uh, I've talked elsewhere on other podcasts that he's not a great for a four. He's not great for four color superheroes like I like. But in the Suicide Squad, the darker, realistic, grittier book, I, I love his artwork. He's very dynamic. Very, He's got a realistic art style, I, I, I think. Uh, and then we go back to the basement of the American Embassy in Moscow, where we see Penguin again. He's got—I love—he's got that. Uh, uh, I consider it the Burgess Meredith Penguin. He's like, "Walk!" Fifteen minutes ago, the Embassy people gave us up. Or try that again. Walk! Fifteen minutes ago, the Embassy people gave us thirty minutes to surrender ourselves. I have yet to hear other options. So I, just whenever I hear that, I hear, I hear Burgess Meredith voice from the old '60s Batman. And then he got Deadshot. He's like, "To hell with it." Let's just shoot ourselves. Again, very dead shot. Very, he's got that death wish, which we're going to learn more about later. And he's very blunt to the point. And as the squad talks amongst themselves on how to get out of the situation, I like this, that uh, June is beating herself up, blaming herself that the Enchantress, and I like this, she's like, this is my fault, her fault. The Enchant, the witch, she's the one who freaked out, blew the mission. She's out of control. Why didn't you just kill her? 
And like she starts to say the enchantress and realizes that she does, the witch would come back and it foul things up even worse. But you know, she's blaming herself that she blames the enchantress for causing the problem. And Nemesis consoles her, and lets her know that you know the mission is messed up before they began. They're, they're deliberating a Russian dissident that didn't want to go, which is true. I mean, the enchantress didn't help matters any. But if the heads of states and the government talking with each other, they may not have been sent to rescue them. They didn't want to leave. And Zoya is upset that, you know, she's like, why well, have to go now? Because of what you guys have done, my principles appear compromised, my life endangered. So as they're talking, like I say, I just love the artwork here. Sorek Flag's trying to figure a way out of Russia for him. So I like the way Rick's drawn here. He's got the stubble. Actually, both the guys you see here. All three of the guys, Rick, Nemesis, and Oswald, a.k.a. the Penguin, have stubble because it's been a while since they've been able to shave. In the next couple pages, they're just talking about their escape plan, which, again, great dialogue, great artwork. Uh, Bronze Tiger plans on escaping with them, and uh, Rick tells them that he doesn't need to, that as far as everyone's concerned, he's broken no laws, he wasn't a part of them. Uh, he can leave normally and get back up just in case they need it. And I like that Rick's thing. He's like, you know, no sense Bronze Tiger going down with him. He can get out on his own and get some backup just in case. And since it's the Suicide Squad, we can be pretty sure they're going to need that backup. And for their escape plan, they bust us in some tourist rooms, act like Russian uh, soldiers and arrest the people. And they pile them onto a room and they take over these people's lives so they can use their passports and train tickets to get further to the border. Uh, again, just great artwork. Um, and like this this next page here, they're talking about, you know, where they got the prisoners, but what are they going to do with them? When I say the prisoners, the Americans they kidnapped to take their identities. They're trying to figure out what to do with the, the tourists. And like, we can't let them run free. They'll blow the cover. Uh, we need 36 hours. And, you know, what do you expect? How are we going to do with them? And Penguin's like, well, I've already talked to Deadshot about that. And Deadshot pulls his gun out, you hear click, and he gets ready to walk next door. And he, you know, Deadshot tells Ricky, you know, to back off. As far as everyone's concerned, it'll look like a black market attack. And he's going to kill whoever he needs to to get himself out of there. And Nemesis throws an ashtray and hits Deadshot right between the eyes, punches him and knocks him down. And he tells him, you know, one more step towards that gun and I'll break your hand and then your neck. And so as they're talking about, you know, what to do, Nemesis is like, well, you know what? I'll stay behind. I'll guard him 48 hours, give you time to get away, and then I'll slip out of here. And I like this uh, this little conversation here. Rick's telling him, no, I won't have people sacrificing themselves for this team, Tresser. And Nemesis, Tom Tresser's like, tough. I'm quitting. Affected immediately. I've watched the way this group operates, and I've had a belly full creeps like Deadshot and the Penguin don't belong on the street. They belong where they were, in prison. You play Patsy with them if you want, Flag. I'm history. As he walks out and slams the door. Which goes to show that, I mean, like I say, even though Tresser's part of the team and he's doing what he needs to, he's not happy with, his, with the situation. He doesn't like the fact that the uh, these murderers and thieves and, and what have you get out of jail for doing these crimes, so... Or for doing these missions. And again, that's... Uh, a whole part of the Suicide Squad, as far as, you know, conversation-wise, is it a good idea to use the prisoners on these these suicide missions, if you will, and allow them to get co- go free? 
does do they, do they helping out? Do they helping out? Do them helping out the government behind the scenes like this? Does this wash away and absolve them of their crimes and their their sins, if you will? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have an answer to that. I mean, I think it's up for each person individually that's reading the book to uh, think about it and come to their own conclusion. I mean, Waller feels it's okay. Flag feels it's okay. Tresser, on the other hand, he's not so happy with it. So it's enough that he finally he's had enough of this and he's going to leave the team. And then, like this next, uh, the next page, we see Captain Boomerang in New Orleans, the French Quarter. He's taking this uh, chick up to his room. Some French girl from the sounds of it. And I like this. She's like, Boomer, how you say unhooked? And he's like, Roth, does this fat lady wants to get a hold of me and I ain't interested. And he tells her, why don't you make yourself comfy, darling? Why mix up some grog and would you rather some plonk? He's like, no, no. Oh, Boomer. like, What? The next time the fat lady calls you, maybe you'll listen, yes? And we've got this look of surprise on his face. Again, great artwork. Uh, I mean, Luke Manal did a great job on Boomerang's face here. Like, surprise. Like, what you yabbering about, you bloody chromo? And as he looks to see who it is, he's like, oh, no. And we see that it's Black Orchid. And next thing we see, we just see their silhouettes. Then him, her flying off holding Boomerang by the foot. <laughs> and he's got the the asterisks and the the, the, the characters that you know, means he's cursing. It's kind of funny. I like to his drawn here. Uh, since uh, Shag's not here, I'll say it. This panel here, I don't know. Uh, Black Orchid, she's kind of hot. She's got this form-fitting purple costume, some purplish wings on the side of it. A cape looks like wings. Uh... She's got a, she's kind of a hot chick right there. Anyways, we then find our team aboard the train under their stolen identities, and there's a little conversation about wolves pacing the train. And Deadshot tells them that you know they, the wolves could attack them. That in cold weather like this, they've been known to attack a trains, attack a trains, attack trains. And then Pengu- Penguin goes on saying how he doesn't like Russia. That they they don't respect individual rights like they do in America. And Deadshot tells them. Russia's made to order for you a bird like you, Pengy. Here, Larcy's institutionalized. You join the party and plunder the system from within. Smart bird like you'd probably do real well. And then he goes on to make comparisons between him and Rick Flagg, saying that they're pretty much the same type of person. They're both lone wolves. I like this. He's like, but for lone wolves, like Flagg and me, Russia be one big frozen prison. Flagg's like, I don't care much for the comparison, Lawton. And Deadshot's like, with the wolves... Not with you. Deny it all you want, Colonel. At heart, we're both flip sides of the same coin. Wolves who don't fit in at the pack. And that page, page 10 ends with, you know, the train going off and wolves just sitting there watching the train as it leaves. I like the way that, you know, that both on the flip side of the same coin. That's kind of an overused metaphor, I think. But I, I like the way this page is laid out and the, the whole entire conversation if you look at it as one piece, it's an interesting conversation. I, I like the conversation. And I like the way that we, we leave with the wolves watching them. So that's really interesting. And they're back in the hotel room where Nemesis is watching over the people. And, you know, they're sitting there. The natives are getting restless, as he says, that, you know, they're wanting out of there and they're willing to go through Nemesis if they have to. And about this time, uh, the Russian, the uh, people's heroes blast through the door and the wall. 
And the, the girl among them, the woman, uh, again, I'm terrible on names. Uh, the one big heavy set Russian is Moltov, which I'll forget before we get to him again. Uh, I'm assuming he can make things explode. He's going to explode the door. Uh, the woman on the team is a, apparently a mind reader of some sort. So she's using her powers on Nemesis to find out where the team's gotten off to. And we cut across, we see there Bokalvia 12 hours later as the team's hiking across the, the snow and ice. And they're making a comment that, you know, if you got to walk across the ice and Flag gets thinking and says, you know, Eve's not going to last more than an hour on the ice if the ice holds that long. And then he has a little flashback. He's like, I've already learned the hard way just how treacherous ice can be. And a little reference here to Secret Origins 14, which we covered in uh, episode, I believe it was three or four of our podcast. And again, I also talked about relatively recent in the last month or so with uh, Ryan Daly over on a Secret Origins podcast, episode 14. A little plug for Ryan's show. If you haven't checked out the Secret Origins podcast, go check it out. It's a great show, especially 14, episode 14, which talks about Secret Origins 14, which is me and him talking about the Suicide Squad. Anyways, <laughs> enough pimping Ryan's show. Uh, but yeah, then we see the People's a Hero. Uh, we got all four of them. I'm assuming that's Sickle, Hammer, Moltov, some other guy in the background over here, and then the chick that can read minds. And again, the next page or two here is just a little battle. And then the two teams battle the People's Hero and our Suicide Squad. During the battle, June turns into the Enchantress. Uh, there's a little fight. You know, say the next several pages, I mean, I'm not going to go into the details of it. I definitely recommend uh, reading this issue. But yeah, there, the, the battle goes on and takes a couple pages. But our heroes, of course, are victorious, more or less. Uh, they defeat the people's heroes, but then they hear a sound. There's a squadron of hind gunships heading towards them. And then on another side, you've got the Silver Infantry fanning out over the ice. So while they defeated the people's heroes, Rick figures out that the people's hero was only meant to delay them. So as they're being attacked from two fronts by the, uh, the Russians, they find themselves outnumbered, overwhelmed, when suddenly... Rick hears a sound of something that's familiar. Briscoe swooping in to save the day in Sheba. And that's a really cool scene on page, the top of page 19. Uh, we see Sheba flying down out of the sky. Uh, Looks like probably rockets and guns. Yeah, rockets and guns blazing away. Rick down the ground. They're all in uh, shadows. He's saying, Sheba! I like the way this page is laid out, the helicopters zooming in. But as uh, Sheba swoops down to save them, as I said on my synopsis, uh, our Russian friend Zoya is shot and falls to the ground. Uh, as they start to board the helicopter, Nemesis runs back for her with Penguin telling him not to you know, leave her alone. She's gone for her. And Nemesis like, I'll risk it. Like, Wake up, little bird. We must fly. And as he realizes she's dead, the Russians move in and arrest him while the rest of the team gets in the airplane. And Rick finds out that Nemesis and Zoya is still out there on the ice. He's about ready to go out back to get him. But Deadshot stops him. Uh, you know, so it shows that Rick, he, he doesn't want to leave anyone behind. He values his team, which one thing that makes Rick's a, Rick a good leader is that 
he wants to go back and help his fellow men out. But he also understands that he can't risk the rest of his team and his own life uh, trying to save the two. And the issue ends with, uh, what's his name, Zasko, I believe it is. Our friend from over in uh, Firestorm talking with Gorbachev a couple days later. We find out the Americans are denying any connection with Nemesis and the team that tried to rescue the Russian lady. And uh, Zaskas, whatever his name is, is telling Gorbachev that there's no value in the man they captured because they don't know who he is yet uh, because he's not speaking and their mind reader is still in the hospital. As he says here, it looks like everyone's lost. And Gorbachev's like, except for Zoya Trigorny. She has, in fact, become the martyr. She has become the martyr, in fact, that she always wanted to be. The circumstances of her death will ensure her place among the, the literati, as her work could have never done in of itself. She become a symbol of the rev- individual artist against the repressive system. We have made the Firebird immortal. Dun dun dun. The end. Uh, next personnel files. Again, a g- good issue overall. I, I really enjoy it. Again, the artwork is fantastic. I, I love John Ostinger's writing in here. Uh, this three-issue little mini-arc here. It's just a fantastic story. Uh, again, I like the couple-page battle between the People's Heroes and the Suicide Squad. Uh, just go back to that page real quick. Page 15, they're fighting, and uh, Black Orchid is attacking, uh, I believe his name's Hammer. And uh, Hammer's like, in my country, we do not fear to hit females. All are equal, women. Woman. As he hits, swings at her with his hammer, he misses. She grabs his foot and flies him up, flips him in the air, just knocks the living crap out of him. Again, I mean, everything I've said, this is a great story, great artwork. I definitely recommend this this little story arc out of the Suicide Squad. But that'll do it for this issue of the Suicide Squad. Uh, hold tight, true believers, and I'll be right back with you with our character profile. After these messages, we'll be right back. and Water Podcast, a weekly show about movies old and new, hosted by obsessive movie nerd Rob Kelly and a rotating series of special guests. From sci-fi to horror, dramas to family films, comedies to adventure epics, we watch it all. The Film and Water Podcast is part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts, available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. Each episode of the Secret Origins Podcast features me, Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. 
And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. Welcome back to our show. And welcome back to this month's character profile. This month we're going to look at Black Orchid, uh, who did some pretty good stuff this episode. So uh, there was four different Black Orchids. There was Susan Linden Thorne. There was a gal named Flora Black, someone named Susie. And then there was the new 52 version, which was Alba Garcia. Uh, we're only going to be looking at Lyndon Thorne, as that's the one that we're dealing with in uh, the Suicide Squad. This version of Black Orchid first appeared in Adventure Comics 428 back in July-August of 1973. She was created by Sheldon Mayer and Tony De Zuniga. Zuniga? Tony De Zuniga. Sorry about that, Tony. Uh, her team affiliations is, well, the Suicide Squad. And now for her history... Uh, although she has a number of superpowers, including flight, super strength, and invulnerability to bullets, her main ability is the mastery of disguise. She often spends an entire investigation impersonating a seemingly insignificant female background character. In other words, a maid, a secretary, someone's girlfriend. And the other characters only discover her involvement at the end of the story upon finding a bound and gagged woman she impersonated and an abandoned disguise with her calling card, a black orchid. After appearing in Adventure Comics 428 through 430, the character next appeared as a backup feature in Phantom Strangers 31, 32, 35, 36, and 38 through 41, which was in 1974 through 1976. After which, the character appeared only sporadically, such as the occasional cameo in comic books as diverse as three panels in the Crisis on Infinite Earths 12-issue limited series and the Blue Devil Annual number one both from 1985, as well as Deadshot 1 and Invasion Number 2. She also appears in Suicide Squad as a member of the team in issues 4, 7, 11 through 22, and then issue 22, which was 1987 through 1988. She also had an appearance in the non-continuity children's comic book Super Friends number 31. In Adventure Comics 428, it proclaimed on its cover that it was an origin issue, although almost no background on the character was given even her name. Until Neil Gaiman explained her origin, the character was in fact most famous for her lack of an origin. Instead, writers teased us of several possible origins, all refuted. In Adventure Comics 429, Barry de Morte hypothesizes, it's a hard word, <laughs> that either yoga master Lucindia Cindy Harper or anti-gravity specialist Daphne Wingate is Black Orchid and kidnaps them both. When Black Orchid comes to the rescue, he learns otherwise. In the Phantom Stranger number 38, writer Michael Flesher posted race car driver Ronnie Kuhn as a possible secret identity for Black Orchid. In the next issue, Kuhn was revealed to be simply an admirer of Black Orchid, who is soon seduced into the Black Orchid Legion, which is a group of criminals who develop suits that would mimic Black Orchid's, Black Orchid's power because of her father's status as president of the World Bank, claiming that they are helping to prevent it protect it from communists. They bind her to the safe door, which they have set with explosives. The real Black Orchid rescues her, and when the cops arrest the Legion, one mistakes Kuhn for the real Black Orchid, claiming to know how it is with you superheroes. 
Although Super Friends was never considered canon, writer E. Nelson Bridwell made it fit anyway. His story had Lisa Patrick purchase a large chunk of kryptonite on the black market, convinced that Black Orchid is a Kryptonian. Patrick tries to lure her to a meteorite display at the Gotham City Museum of Natural History, attracting the Justice League. Black Orchid places a force field around the kryptonite to protect Superman, but the force field harms her instead, further convincing Patrick that she is Kryptonian, not noting the lack of effect on, crypt- on Superman. The latter takes the kryptonite into space, and Black Orchid follows him to take it as a brief handoff so that the fragments will not kill him. When she survives the explosion, Superman inquires where she is from and how she got her powers. Her answer, Earth. Rather simple. Uh, over in the Blue Devil Annual Number 1, the usually reliable Madame Xanadu and Fanta Stranger provide competing origins for the Black Orchid. Xanadu identifies her as Madeline Moorcock, and her origin is a parody of Daredevil, while the stranger identifies her as Paula Porter, whose origin parody Spider-Man. Her appearances as an auxiliary member of the Suicide Squad are generally limited to brief rescues or bits of spying. Perhaps the most revealing issue is number 19. Dot, dot, dot. And you'll have to wait until issue 19 comes along to find out more about that. Uh, I'm going to stop her origins and history right there because, well, anything more would be spoilers. And, you know, I don't want to spoil you guys. Uh, But that's the origins and history of Black Orchid. Uh, There's other versions of her in Justice League. Actually, it was called JLA, The Nail. That was an Elseworld story. A captive Black Orchid makes an appearance in Professor Hamilton's Cadmus Labs. And then over in Flashpoint, which was the recent, I say recent, 2011 world-altering reality story, uh, the original Black Orchid briefly appears in the 2011 limited series Flashpoint, The Secret Seven. She's a member of the original Secret Seven who had been killed years earlier. Black Orchid apparently returns from the dead to contact her former teammate, Shade, the Changing Man, but is ultimately revealed to be a mobster. I'm sorry, it's a monster. I can't read today. Who had merely assumed Orchid's form. Then in other media, in television, Black Orchid appears in Batman, The Brave and the Bold, episode entitled The Mask of Matches Malone. In keeping with her mysterious nature, Black Orchid has no dialogue or credited voice actress. She also makes a cameo appearance in the series finale, Might Fall. She's shown with the Creeper at the show's rap party. Black Orchid was going to appear in an episode of Constantine, but sadly that show is canceled. Over in video games, Black Orchid makes a non-canon game, a non-canon cameo in the game, Fallout New Vegas, on the cover of the skill magazine, La Fantoma. The magazine cover itself is a mirrored and recolored version of Black Orchid's Debate on the cover of Adventure Comics 428. And then, just miscellaneous, although she didn't appear in the Super Friends cartoon, she was in the Super Friends comic books. And that is our character profile on The Black Orchid. Stay tuned after these uh, messages from some friends of mine and other podcasters, and we'll be right back with Suicide Notes. Now these messages. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in. 
Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... Yo, Joe! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is American hero. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there. Fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe, American hero, G.I. Joe is there. Attention, Joes, this is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, Codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know! And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the Headcast family. The world never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Welcome back. Now we're on to suicide notes. First up, I did have a message on my blog. This was actually... Me and this gentleman went back and forth. I'm saying gentleman. It could have been a female. I don't know. We went back a couple forth a couple of times. I'm going to read the highlights of it. It was from someone named Anonymous. So I don't know who to give credit to or who to thank. Hey, let's go on to his comments. He says, dude, I tried to listen to your podcast, but your kid being heard in the background kept taking me out of it. I couldn't finish it. I get you have a family. And it's hard to juggle time to do a podcast. But if you can't do it without ex- external interruptions, find a time when you can. And so I apologized to him. I asked him to, you know, hopefully he comes back and checks it out so I can get a response from him. Uh, and I apologize to everyone out there listening. If uh, having Grayson make a noise last episode interfered with your enjoyment of the show, I apologize. Uh, Norm, I try to edit a lot of that out, but I was trying something a little different this time. Uh, only person I've heard from is uh, my buddy Anonymous here. So I'm going to make sure I work harder to make sure this is a little more professional and Grayson doesn't uh, pop back in. Uh, anyways, to continue, the next comment I got from him says that he did check back to see if I responded. Uh, he says, I would have sent you an email, but I didn't see that option. Uh, sorry about that, Anonymous. I'll make sure I get a link on there somewhere for the email. I thought it was, uh, but apparently not. Uh, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm not going to try to speak for other listeners. Me, personally, if I'm going to invest time in a podcast, I want the best quality out of it. Normally, I don't listen to solo podcasts. Uh, This is me interrupting. Uh, I appreciate that you're taking time to listen to mine. 
And again, I'm going to do everything I can to improve it. And that's why I enjoy this listener feedback, even if it's, uh, I would say derogatory, but that's the wrong word. Even if it's not, you know, complimentary, still not what I'm looking for, but you know, uh, it helps me because, you know, it lets me know I'm going wrong. So I appreciate this very much. Thank you. Uh, back to his notes here. I find that one person is generally boring to listen to, while a second person allows the podcast podcasters to bounce thoughts off each other and have a discussion on the topic. You're a solo podcaster. My understanding is that was not your original attention, but it's what you ended up with. Again, yes, as he's commenting, I made a comment early on that I originally was going to have a uh, someone else podcast this with me, but things fell through, so here I am by myself. I enjoy your solo cast. Oh, sorry, back, back to his comments. I enjoy your solo cast for the most part. You do have a bit of... <laughs> I'm going to leave this in here. Uh, you do have a habit of tripping over what you're saying, which can be distracting. And since I stumbled over that, I thought it was kind of funny. But for a solo cast, you're not boring me, and you're enthusiastic about the subject. So you get points there. And again, this is me interrupting. I, I do that a lot. Uh, thank you very much for your notes on that. I appreciate that you, you do enjoy, even if I do have a problem speaking at times, I, I appreciate the fact that you're giving me a chance and that you're enjoying it for the most part, except for when Pipsqueak, you know, decides to pop off. Anyways, back to the uh, letter here. My advice to you, don't deliberately include distractions. Make your podcast as clean as you can. As I said, I'm not going to speak for others, but I tuned in to listen to you. Not your baby, not your dog, not your wife, not your neighbor trimming the yard. A lot of podcasters don't edit properly, and it totally takes me out of listening to the podcaster, and I move on. There are a lot of podcasts to listen to. That's the truth. And while it's a lot of work for the podcaster to produce their podcast, it's also an investment to the listener who is choosing whose cast or another to spend their time, limited time on. Try to make it the best you can. Well, again, Anonymous, I appreciate those comments. I am working my best to make this the best I can. Any uh, advice and comments you guys can give me is most appreciated. Uh, anyway, that, and then I made a comment that, well, I know personally, I listen to a couple like uh, some of Kevin Smith's, you know, he's always yelling at his dogs because his dogs are barking. And Michael Bailey over on Views from the Long Box, who I really enjoy his podcasts. Uh, occasionally his dogs pop off and I'm like, yeah, I've, I've heard some of these others. It makes it to me, it makes it feel a little more friendly and a little more uh, home, if you will. Uh, he responded back with also, you know, I appreciate the comments that, you know, while some may consider harsh, whatever I enjoy it and it helps me do the best podcast I can. He responded finally with, I am sure some will take my comments as harsh, but I'm pretty blunt about criticism working in the art world. I find that sugarcoating criticism dilutes it and the message is often lost. I listen to both Kevin Smith and Mike Bailey. Smith is fun, a bit categorical for my taste at times, but hey, what should I expect? It's Kevin Smith. I find his, I find his dog interrupting equally annoying. Bailey is very serviceable podcaster. He's knowledgeable, but somewhat ranty. I enjoy his podcasts more when there is someone else to balance it out. If you want a good example of a well-produced podcast in a comic book genre, listen to some Fire & Water episodes. Those guys have a natural talent, good editing, and pacing. As the saying goes, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Well, as I, I, I told Mr. Anonymous on my blog that, well, yes, actually, I do listen to Fire and Water. I think I said all this. I'm not sure. But I do listen to Fire and Water. In fact, them and Michael Bailey's uh, From Crisis to Crisis are some of the first podcasts I listen to. And they kind of what I model myself on, or I try to anyways. Apparently, I don't always succeed. succeed. But... Anyways, that's where our discussion wrapped up, and I appreciate all of his comments. Uh, 
as I said, I am trying to make this, you know, I'm doing this for myself just because I like talking about the Suicide Squad, but I do want to make this the best thing, you know, for you guys to listen to. So I appreciate any and all advice you can give me, and I will take it to heart. Again, if you have any other suggestions or comments, uh, please write in. Let me know. You, you can either email me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com. Again, that's taskforcex at head, that's H-E-A-D, speaks, which is S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. Go ahead and send me an email. You go to the blog just like Anonymous here did. Uh, you don't have to leave your name as he didn't, but I would appreciate it so I know who to thank. Because, again, uh, this was some very helpful information. Uh, We went back and forth a couple of times, you know, passing information back and forth. And I I really appreciate everything he said. Uh, I'm taking it to heart. And as you can tell, I shouldn't hear any grace in this episode. And I will do my best to keep him on future episodes. Uh, Because, again, I'm trying to make this the best podcast I can. So, again, if you're still listening on Omnis, let me know your name so I know to thank. But if you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, but let me know what you think and am I doing a better job? Appreciate it. Uh, finally, over on Google Plus, we have the following people following us. There's Dr. G, the man of nerdology, Kyle Vocker, and Alicia Manson. We're all following us over on Google Plus. Thanks for uh, joining us, guys. And then finally, over on Facebook, we had Facebook likes and comments from David Cheflin and Julio Alonzo Carlos. Again, thanks for everybody that follows on Facebook, Google+. Uh, you can find us over on both of those under Task Force X. Uh, look us up. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Task Force X. Join us next month when we have a character profile of Manhunter. And I review two issues, Action Comics 598 and Suicide Squad number 8, Personnel Files. What? Action Comics 598, that's a Superman title, Brotherhead. Why, why are you talking about Superman? Is the Suicide Squad in it? No, our beloved squad doesn't show up, but Checkmate does. Yes, this is Checkmate's first appearance. Starting after next episode, I'll be reviewing an issue of Checkmate and an issue of Suicide Squad. For the most part, there may be some uh, other issues thrown here and there, uh, but that's my plan. Plus another one or two character profiles per episode. So join us next month. For Action Comics 598, the first appearance of Checkmate, and Suicide Squad number 8, Personnel Files. Until then, guys, uh, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Feel free to email us, uh, send us a message, let me know what you guys think. Until then, Squadmates, Fallout. For listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just had crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. 
Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, Plus. you can look for taskforcex under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother. <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yeah!